This message is brought to you by Nuveen. Nuveen has provided investment excellence for 125 years with expertise across income and alternatives. Nuveen continues to expand its capabilities while maintaining its legacy as a leading investment manager. Visit Nuveen.com to learn more. Investing involves risk. Loss of principle is possible. Hey, I'm Veronica Dagger, and this is the Wall Street Journal Secrets of Wealthy Women, where women share how they tackle career, money, and the world. Though some states have started the process of reopening, some sports have come to a grinding halt. For the athletes, this has not only meant competition stopping, but some sponsorships drying up, too. Today, we're bringing you a special encore episode about professional golfer and entrepreneur Kelly Brook. She spent over 30 years in the industry. She was named the 2018 LPGA Golf Professional of the Year and is the director of golf at the Beth Page Golf Course in New York. Kelly's episode was a listener favorite. For that reason, and because so much in sports has changed since we last spoke, we wanted to check in with Kelly about how she's adapting her game amid COVID-19. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Veronica. This is great. Our pleasure. First, how are you doing? I'm great. Healthy. Um, you know, it's like everyone um, spending a little too much time eating and drinking, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it goes. If that's the worst thing that comes out of this for me, then I'll be in good shape. That's great. Before the coronavirus fully closed down golf courses on Long Island on April 10th, how did you adapt the Bethpage course to accommodate the need for social distancing? Well, you know, like all other courses, we took precautions, obviously. We um, marked the floors so that everyone had to stay uh, six to ten feet apart. We only allowed so many people in the pro shop at a time. The tea times were spread out every other, so it was every 15 minutes versus every seven to eight minutes. Carts, we only allowed one person per cart. The carts were sanitized after each use. And basically, you know, just tried to maintain social distancing. We also, we made local rules where you couldn't touch the pin. We put foam in the holes so that your ball didn't go down into the hole so you didn't have to touch the hole. Took the rakes out of the sand traps, that kind of thing. How are you coping financially and emotionally with all of this? I mean, emotionally, it's it's been hard, you know. It hasn't been so hard for me in the sense that, um, you know, uh, I'm the owner. I'm going to always probably survive, although, you know, funds are definitely low at this point. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard emotionally to put uh, all of your employees out of work for this period of time. I don't think anybody knew that this was going to last this long, this amount of time. We thought it was going to be a month, maybe two months. And um, we're seeing that this is a much bigger problem than anyone ever anticipated. Um, thankfully, the government did step in. Uh, I didn't get PPP funds the first round. Second round, I, I got some PPP funds. So we're starting, we just got it this week. So we're starting to bring employees back and creating projects for them to do. And, um, you know, just trying to keep everyone busy. Will you take us back to the moment that you found out you just got relief money, some of that stimulus money? Well, it was a relief. I felt so blessed that I was able to get it because so many people, I'm one of the only people that I know of that runs business that, that got it. So, and it was just thrilling for me because my main concern always is employees and because we're seasonal and uh, it was killing me that, you know, employees were staying at home 
And it wasn't like they were going to be able to make this money up um, because we are seasonal. And so it was just such a relief that I could look at them and say, you're coming back to work. So the chaos is causing many entrepreneurs to be even more innovative than they usually are. How are you adapting your business? Well, you know, in the beginning of March, I would say we saw that this was coming. Uh, I think as any entrepreneur must do in life and business and uh, is you have to anticipate the future. So we really started examining what could happen. For example, we have a junior golf program and it's a subscription type of a, a program where the kids pay X amount of dollars every month and they come to the course they have fitness classes, we take them on the course, we have instruction. We saw that potentially uh, the social distancing was going to stop our program. So we rushed and we put everything online. So we used Zoom like everyone else's to run fitness classes three times a week with our sports doctor. One of my pros and I film every week uh, the instruction and we give them skills, we give them drills. So basically they're following our program, they're just doing it at home. It's neat. In addition to running the Beth Page course, you're also often on tour as a pro golfer. Any sense when the LPGA and PGA tours may start up again, especially given the fact that some states are reopening? Yeah, it's unfortunate because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little older now. I'm 52, just turned 52. I'm, I don't want to age myself too high into the 50s. But uh, the, most of the senior tournaments, because they're only a handful, are, are being canceled uh, for this year. Even the senior U.S. Open was canceled. The LPGA uh, regular tour, it's looking like it's probably going to start mid-July, end of July. Same thing with the PGA tour. There have been some rumors that golf tournaments might start up without spectators. How is that going to affect athletes and sponsorships? I mean, you know what? It's really, I don't know how many people attend an average golf tournament for the PGA or the LPGA, but really that's not where the money is. The money is in the TV uh, sponsorships. So I don't think having spectators there is going to affect it one way or the other, to be honest with you. It might even improve uh, ratings because everyone's at home. No one can leave the house. So, you know, the viewership might go up and as a result, sponsors will be a lot more happy. As golf courses, including your own, start to reopen, what do you think the game is going to look like? And do you think people are going to be able to afford to play a round of golf given the tough economy? I'm very fortunate. I've survived the 2008 recession. I'm surviving this because golf is really resilient and it's something that people love to do and it it's relatively inexpensive. I mean, I don't know um, many you know activities where you can go spend four or five hours for 40 or $50 dollars. Um, so it's really kind of recession proof for me as a business, but for players, it's really, um, a wonderful sport that you don't have to play it with another player. It's, um, it's by nature, there's social distancing, you know, people don't hit the ball in the same spot. Um, you know, I know for quite a while, we're going to have to, uh, limit one person per golf cart, but that's not a big deal. We have more than enough in our fleet. Um, I don't see that golf is going to change a whole heck of a lot. If anything, I think golf is going to get more popular. You know, you're not going to go to concerts for a while. You're not going to go to basketball games, football games, baseball games. So people are going to be flocking to the golf course just to get out of the house and to do some sort of physical activity. So I think it's going to help golf. What else has this whole experience taught you about entrepreneurship? 
I mean, you know, the thing is that uh, as an entrepreneur, you have to always have a plan in mind. You have to uh, pivot. You think you're going, you know, uh, on one course. For example, you know, we had last year with the PGA Championship at Bethpage. So we were closed for two months and we were so looking forward to this year because we felt that there was going to be a big rebound because we were had a major there and we were going to, um, you know, take in some revenue this year and make up for last year. And unfortunately, our biggest quarter is the second quarter and we're in that right now and we're making literally no money. So um, you have to pivot. You have to uh, figure out alternate streams for revenue. You've got to, once people come back, we need to figure out a way to maximize every dollar to upsell to, um, you know, try to make this up in some way, which is not such an easy feat because we are seasonal. Is part of your personal pivot starting an online channel as well? You know, I had this idea in uh, November. Uh, the LBJ was founded 70 years ago. And so naturally, the, the original 13 founders have been passing away. We have two left. And um, I said, this is such a shame because women's golf is going to die if we don't get some of these ladies on camera and interview them. So it was a passion project, which now has turned into a full-fledged business uh, model where I went to Nancy Lopez, Amy Alcott, Michelle McGann, uh, a handful of the ladies, and I said, would you all like to start a women's streaming golf channel with me? But since this uh, this pandemic happened, I realized that it, it's really a good idea because there's not enough content out there. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've watched every single thing on Netflix and Hulu <laughs> and uh, HBO, and there's just not enough content out there. And I, I understand now that the demand for at least short form content is there. So um, I think this idea is really going to take off. Uh, we hope to launch in the middle of July. And we're excited about it. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, Kelly's going to share what she learned from the psychology of golf and what it's like to be a woman in the game. Her Encore episode when we come back. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So, Kelly, when you were around 13, you were on an all-boys soccer team and you had a formative experience during some of the games. So can you tell us about that? Absolutely. Well, I grew up playing sports with the boys in the yard. I played football, baseball, basketball, the whole bit. But I was on the the boys travel all-star team and I was the leading goal scorer, coincidentally. And there was a, a game, a very important game, and I had scored a couple goals. And the, the goalie was getting a little tired of me. I was getting under his skin. And I don't know if you've ever watched soccer, but you challenge the goalie. So I'm standing in front of the goalie about, I don't know, four or five feet away and staring him down. He looked me in the eyes, and he dropped that ball and punted it right into my face. It knocked me backwards about six to ten feet. My feet were off the ground. 
And I was in a complete daze. My eyes were watering. I got up, and my nose was bleeding everywhere. He had broken my nose. Oh, my goodness. And so I, I just shrugged it off, and I played the rest of the game, scored a couple more goals, and I felt like that was uh, a lesson in life for me in general. And that's kind of how I've lived my business life, where uh, you know I've gotten kicked in the face. I've gotten punched. I've gotten you know, kicked in the gut, and you just have to get yourself back up, brush it off, and move on with the game of business and the game of life. Did that kid get in trouble? No, it's part of the game, and I was playing with the boys, so I deserved it. And I was being a little bit obnoxious, and, you know, and I was challenging him. He treated me like any other boy. Uh, You know, he treated me like I was just one of the gang, and I was his competitor. And, you know, that's important for life to know that, you know, you're not going to be treated differently as a woman. We all want equality, but you have to learn how to shake it off when you're treated like one of the guys. Are you saying, though, we should put up with a level of rudeness to get that equality? Uh, I don't know if it's rudeness. You know, I I think equality, I I think it's competitiveness. I don't see business as rude, um, you know, male behavior, women behavior. I see it as competitiveness. And, you know, you have to, if you want to play in this game, you're going to have to take it like, like every other man takes it. How do you know you want to be a pro golfer? Well, my mom and dad put a putter in my crib when I was born, so I don't think that I had any choice. I was going to be a pro golfer. Uh, My mom was the city champion. She was a great athlete, great tennis player, great great golfer. My dad was an entrepreneur, so I got that uh, entrepreneurial competitive side from him. And basically, you know, I was uh, I grew up at a golf course and I played golf every single day. And it was not it was a choice, clearly. But my dad said to me at a young age, listen, you know, your friends are getting jobs at McDonald's. They're um, working at the mall. You can do that also if you want. But how about this? You're going to get a scholarship later in life. I'm going to pay you to go practice. I don't know if I ever actually saw, uh, you know, it wasn't like I got, I punched in and out. But my job growing up was to get out of bed and go practice while everyone else was working. And I got an allowance for it. And, you know, it all paid off in the end because I got a college scholarship for golf. How did he know you were going to be good at it? You know, you can tell at an early age if a child's going to be good at golf, and I clearly was good. I mean, I was beating the boys. I was beating the girls. I was beating everyone. I mean, I played my mom in our club championship and the the women's club championship when I was 12 or 13, and I beat her, and she was the reigning champion for many years. So we knew, you know, at an early age that I was going to be good. I played in tournaments from the time I was six or seven on, and I was... Uh, finishing in the top 10. And so it it was uh, something that we knew I was always going to do. So can you elaborate a little bit more on what it's like to be a woman in such a male-dominated sport? Well, you know, I'm lucky because I'm kind of a guy's girl. So what I mean by that is, you know, I've always been good at sports. So I learned so much from sports. I learned competitiveness, uh, sportsmanship. I learned integrity. But I also learned, because I played with guys, how to be around guys. So basically, you know, I, I mean, I hate to say this, but sometimes I, I uh, swear too much. I smoke cigars on the golf course. I drink bourbon afterwards. So I'm kind of a guy's girl. And, um, and so I kind of have lived in their world. It's a challenge, though, because, you know, I want to be feminine at the same time. And I don't want to be seen as one of the guys all the time. So it is a fine balance between um, being one of the guys and still maintaining your femininity at the same time. How do you strike that balance with the guys? 
I think that they respect me. You know, I, I've, I've gained a lot of respect in the last 30 years in the business world because I did enter the male-dominated area. When I came to New York City from Iowa in 1992, um, it was, uh, there was a company called American Golf. They were running all the golf courses in New York City, and it was a publicly traded company. I can't remember, uh, Solomon Brothers or someone was uh, operating it. And basically, it was all men. I mean, there were no women to be seen. In, in that were running the golf courses. And I got here and I saw that there were so many holes and gaps. You know, I came from Iowa where golf was huge. The Midwest golf is very big. There was no junior golf in New York City, no women's golf. There was no um, even mention of, of golf psychology. There were all these holes. And I said to myself, boy, this is such a shame. We're in the biggest city in the country and there is no organized golf. So my goal was to fill those gaps. And as I filled those gaps, I started to get a little bit more respect, although they fought me every step of the way because they didn't want kids and women on the golf course. They wanted full-paying men on the golf course. And, you know, it was a, an uphill battle. There were um, many obstacles that I had to overcome, but I found the right team to help me overcome those obstacles. And, you know, at the end of the day, I gained a lot of respect. And I think that's the key in the business world is you have to have their respect. You can't, you have to know what you're doing. You have to Talk the talk, you have to walk the walk, but at the end of the day, you really need to know your stuff. So how did you deal with those guys who were like, women should not be on this court? Well, you know what? I went about it kind of subtly. So the um, the sports writer in the Staten Island, uh, for the Staten Island Advance, friended me, and we became very, very close. And uh, I wanted so badly to, to start this not-for-profit junior golf club and, and American golf and, and different organizations, the men's group out there, they were really fighting me on it. So I put together a team, like a board of directors, and I found, and I had the media on my side, which was Tom Flanagan. I had um, the president of the women's club there. I had uh, an attorney that played golf. I had a very high-powered male golfer that bought into my vision. And as a team, we were able to get around any barriers that they were putting me, Kelly Brook, in front of. Do you feel like the golf industry has changed for women over the years? Oh, it's definitely changed. Uh, The PGA of America has something like 40,000 members. I would say 99% of them are male. The LPGA has 1,000 members, all female. There's one female member um, named Susie Whaley. She became the first ever president of the PJ of America. So this one woman oversees almost 39,000 men. So the industry has definitely changed, and I'm seeing it's changed um, just across the board. I mean, I am in a unique position where I'm the director of golf and the head professional for a championship golf course. Uh, I don't know any other women in the world that hold my position. So it's been quite a journey for me, and I've seen a lot of change. I think we have a long way to go. I, I think that women still feel, and this is my plight right now in my life, is to educate women that they can get to where they want to be, that they don't have to be the junior golf director or the Women's Day director for the rest of their lives. They can actually be the head pro at their golf course. They can uh, have world-famous golf schools. They can run their own facilities if they want to. But women in the golf industry have been made to feel like they're second-class citizens for so long that they don't even realize that those opportunities are out there. So my objective for the next couple of years is to educate my fellow female golf professionals that they can have what I have. A lot of people, a lot of women set goals, but 
big goals sometimes, but they don't achieve them. So Mm -hmm. what's the secret of actually achieving the goals you set? I think the secret is that you have to check in with your goals on a daily basis, your short-term goals that are getting you to your long-term goal. I would put that, I posted that card on my, my mirror, and so I had to look at it every day. And I would have to check in with myself and say, all right, did you achieve any short-term goals today that you know are going to get you to your long-term goal? And if you want it enough, you're going to get it. Your business manages the Beth Page course, mm-hmm. which is one of the top public courses in the U.S. How did you beat out the other competitors for this contract? Well, you know, I've always been in golf for the right reasons. I enjoyed it, and I wanted to spread the word. And so I think that I ended up, I beat the PGA Tour. I beat uh, some major um, uh, golf management companies. And I think I did it because of all of my philanthropic work that I did growing, you know, in my, I say growing up. But I was only 21 when I came here. So I really did grow up here. Uh I, you know, I was always in it for the right reasons, and I feel that I was recognized for that. Uh, You know, in all of the the properties that I've won and operated, it's not all about the bottom line in life. It's about who are you helping, and if you're in things for the right reason and you're helping people, then you'll always be rewarded. So, what can women learn from the psychology of golf? Oh gosh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what they can learn. So I joined the LPGA in 1992, 93, something like that. And the first thing we, we're taught as LPGA golf instructors is to understand people's learning styles because there are no bad students, only bad teachers. So I could give you, uh, I could give a chipping lesson to five, to four different people, let's say, and I could give it four different ways based on your learning style. So I'll interview you at the beginning and I'll figure out, are you left brain or right brain? Because a left brain person is very detail oriented. They're very auditory. They're very sequential and um, they're very objective. I'm a right brain person. A right brain person is very creative, very big picture, can't get bogged down in details, very visual. And so when I learned that other people have learning styles, I reflected upon myself. And in business, I am a better business person because I understand who I am. I am very right-sided. Um, and I think that that's a, a very important thing for women to figure out. Are they the left brain person? Are they the right brain? And you, you tailor your leadership style and your business style to what you are. I know that I can't get bogged down in details. I'm not auditory at all. The fact that you didn't give me any questions ahead of time really is freaking me out because I need to prepare visually because I'm not auditory. Um, So I will uh, sit in a meeting and I will need a PowerPoint. I need to see things. Or when I give a presentation, I can't give it auditorily. I need to do it through a PowerPoint. I prefer to communicate through text or email versus phone calls because I, I know that that's my learning style and how I function best. I also know that I'm not a detailed person. I'm a big picture person. So I hire people that are detailed, left-brained people and so that I can focus on the big picture and I can focus on growth or whatever you know new programs we're developing. So for women, I think it's, or people in general, it's really important that you understand how your brain works and you tailor your business management style to how you learn best. Do you say a mantra to yourself, like, I'm going to win this or when you're out there? Well, you know what? Uh, 
I got so much into the mental side of golf in the last year and a half, and I use it as a metaphor for life. I, I have this opti brain that I put on my head and I put it on my students' heads, and we can measure where the um, the brain waves are stimulated in your head. And this is what I'm talking about with millennials again. They love this stuff. They eat this up. If I could, I say to them, can I get inside your head? And they're like, yeah, sure. And I put this on. And so I t- I've taught my students for two years how to quiet the brain and live in the subconscious and live in this Zen place. And so I decided to try it out for myself. So my advice to myself is if I were teaching someone, it would be next week when I get there, I'm going to just try to live in the moment, take each shot as it comes, Try not to overthink and stimulate my prefrontal cortex and live in my subconscious. We all know the world is changing every day. Since we spoke with her two weeks ago, Kelly found out that she's allowed to partially reopen Bethpage. And she's adapting, like we all are. Listeners, let us know your secret to feeling resilient during this pandemic. Text or call our hotline at 314-200-5947. We might use your comment on an upcoming show. If you'd like to hear more Secrets of Wealthy Women, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite audio provider. If you like us, subscribe, share us on social media, and give us a review. This episode was originally produced by Tanya Bustos. Today's version was produced by Trine Nori. Our executive producer is Kateri Yocum. Additional help from personal finance editor Bray Lamb. I'm Veronica Dagger. Hang in there, Secrets listeners. You've got this. Thanks for listening. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.